Let's get to our, our message today. Um, it comes from Colossians 3, verses 5 to 11. The word of God reads, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the things that, the ways that you're speaking to us through the word. We pray, God, that today your word will have power to really convict our hearts of sin so that we might repent and live for you. Father, that we as a church might become the church that you desire. And Father, that you would help us align ourselves with your desires so that as a member of our ministry, we can become all that you want us to be more than anything else. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when I was in year five, um, my father bought me a brand new 10-speed bike. Do you guys know what a 10-speed bike is? Yeah, <laughs> a brand new bike, a push bike, okay? Uh, anyway, you know, gr- growing up as a kid, we, we, were, we were on the poorer side. I, I rarely got new stuff. So when I got this brand new bike, it was like my pride and joy. I loved it. And so, you know, the first thing you do, smartly or stupidly, is you start showing off your brand new bike to all your friends. And, you know, and you know, I had a really good friend who lived down the street. His name was Ricky. And I remember we were hanging out. He's like, dude, that's a great brand. That's a great brand new bike. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? He's like, can I go for a spin? I said, of course you can. And I remember we were at uh, the running track, this local running track, and we were just hanging out there. Now, one thing you have to understand about Ricky is that he had this really old and like kind of half broken bike. And so in order for him to like stop, he would have to brake far ahead and like slam on his brakes so hard. And then it would just come to this really, really, really slow, prolonged stop. Anyway, he's on my bike and, you know, we're on this running track and I can still see him now. He's like going as fast as he can around this track. And as he's like, he's still far away, but he starts to brake. But what does he do? Can you imagine? Instead of braking very gently on my brand new brakes on my brand new bike, you know, he slams on him. The bike stops immediately. He launches like 10 meters. It was so scary. The thing is, Ricky was okay, but my bike wasn't. You know, I could still see it flipping, right? Not Ricky, my bike, you know? And it was just so traumatic. Anyway, I run to my bike, not my friend, and it was, it was obviously like broken. You know, like the handlebars were just bent. One of the brakes fell off, right? The wheels, they didn't spin uniformly anymore. Yeah, sad. Thank you, whoever made a noise. Thank you so much for being so compassionate. It was, you know, for poor kids who get brand new, but you know, anyway, uh, it, we had to get a fix. Very, very sad. You know, you got to know, man, you can't ride a brand new bike as if it's your old bike. Am I right? Or are you going to bust up my bike, Ricky? Right? That's what's going to happen. And so that's exactly what happened. You know, even though the bike looks like your old one, you just can't ride it the same. If you ride your, your new bike like as if it was your old, you're, and you're just going to end up damaging that bike just like mine got damaged. Can you imagine the lesson for today? Can you, can you think of the lesson for today? That's the lesson for today. 
you know, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the old life was destroyed. And God gave us this brand new life to live for his glory. The problem, though, with Christians is that we try to live out this brand new life as if it's the old one. Instead of just simply living out this brand new life as a brand new life. And because we do that, a lot of times we end up just damaging our lives because we try to live it like the old one. The key when you're given a brand new life by God is to live out the brand new life the way God always designed you to live. A brand new life calls us to a brand new way of living. Do you guys get that? That is the message for today. You know, in our passage, Paul uses this metaphor of like putting on clothes and taking off clothes. You know, the putting off clothes is basically he's saying, and you need to take off these clothes, your sinful life, your sinful past, take that off, destroy it. And you need to put on new clothes, the new life that you've been given, the new life of holiness, righteousness that you're supposed to live for God, put that on, right? So the question is, why does he say all these clothes things? Why can't he just tell you, just just kill your old life and live the new one? Actually, he does many, many times in the New Testament. But here, the reason why he puts it in this particular metaphor is because he's simply sharing with us, yes, we're saved. Yes, we're reconciled. Yes, we're renewed. Yes, we have this new home in heaven, but it's just not complete Yet, we talked about that last week. They already happened, but yet, but not yet. It's not fully there yet. It's not complete yet. So he uses this clothing met- metaphor to illustrate this in-between state. Do you guys get that? But secondly, and more importantly, the reason why he uses this clothing met- metaphor is because he's saying, hey, it's your choice. It's actually up to you to put it off or to take it off. And to put it on. All that's been accomplished. It's been destroyed. We just need you to take it off. And we need you to put on the new life and live it out, knowing that you have it. That's all I'm saying. It's our choice. Every day we have this choice to live out our new life. And so a new life calls for a new lifestyle. And there are two ways that our passage tells us that we can do that. And I've already stated them. The first way is to put off your old life. That's point number one, okay? So what exactly are we to put off in that old life? There are three things that this text says that we are to put off. Number one, sexual sins. What are we to put to death? Sorry, put your old life to death. That's the point. Put your old life to death. There are three things that we are to put to death. Number one, sexual sins. Number two, sins relating to interpersonal relationships. And number three, disunity in the church. Let's talk briefly about each one. Um, Let's begin with sexual sins. Verse 5 to 7, it says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you you once lived. Now, before I get into the sexual sins themselves, I want you to know something about sex itself. Sexual desires were a gift given to us by God. Therefore, sexual desires is good, okay? I know the church, a lot of times we try to, you say that sexual desires is evil or something like that. If you grew up in a very traditional church, old school, a lot of times, you know, they look down upon sexual desires. It's not. It's good. Sex is good. Amen? Should we all say that aloud? You know? <laughs> sex is good. It is. The thing is, God gave sex, you know, as a, for us to fully enjoy, 
You know, God gave us sex for us to fully practice within the context of marriage only. That's where it can be enjoyed, explored, you know, grow. And, and, and sex itself can actually, if it's done well with your partner, it can be an amazing way to worship God together. Isn't that amazing? Sex? We can worship God as we have sex? Yes. You know, if you do it well. And that's exactly what God, why God gave it to us, you know. But the thing is, just like in everything else, sin Sin has corrupted our sexual desires. Therefore, sin has corrupted our sexual expressions. Okay? And that's exactly what it's about. So in verse 5, the phrase is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Together, when we put all those words together, you know, they describe every type of sexual desire and every type of sexual, sexual practice that or a sexual activity that can be practiced outside of the context of marriage, you know, outside of that context of husband and wife, whether with another person or whether, you know, you're doing it solo. Anything that's practiced outside of a marriage, this is what, you know, it's the summary of all those improper sexual desires and activities. But I want to focus my attention on the last two concepts at the end of verse 5 which I think is very bizarre for this to be in there. You know, when we're talking about this list of sexual sins, why do they why do they include these words greed and idolatry? It almost seems like it's inappropriate to be in the same phrase with all these sexual sins. But the answer to this question really will help us overcome sexual sins, okay, which is the whole point of me, ch- me sharing this with you. If you're struggling with sexual sins, hopefully this will help you overcome. Why is greed and idolatry in this particular verse? Well, greed is the inappropriate desire for more. That's it. Greed is the inappropriate desire for more. A lot of times we see it in the realms of like money or we see it in the realms of like material possessions, right? That's very simple. Greed is the inappropriate desire for more. But here, when God says greed in terms of, you know, sex, what he's saying is that greed is the inappropriate desire for more and greater sexual experiences. And that's all it is. And when that happens, we start to use these sexual expressions, not for the glory of God that he designed, but for our own purposes and therefore for our own security and for our own pleasure. And when anything else takes the place of God as our security and purpose, that is idolatry. And that's it. And that's exactly what it's talking about. Anytime you replace God with that, it's idolatry. Therefore, greed is the source of sexual sins. You know, that's what it's saying right here. It turns our desires into idols, which ultimately replace God. And that's why verse 6 says, for this reason, the wrath of God is coming. Do you guys understand that? That's exactly what these verses are saying. Have you ever noticed that uh, inappropriate sexual desire is like extremely powerful? You know, a lot, I think, for most of us in this room, maybe there's, you've gone through a period where you just are addicted to like sexual things. And you know, what you realize is the moment you start thinking about sex, you can't think about anything else. You know, it's like, I don't mean to laugh, but you know, it's, it's, you just, that's all you think about. You cannot even think about anything else. It's that powerful. That's greed. That's sexual greed taking over. You know what I'm saying? And if we don't put that to death quickly, then it will quickly turn into idolatry. And that's when we get into huge trouble. 
That's why the only solution to inappropriate sexual desires is to put it to death. It has to die. There is no other solution, right? There's no such thing as managing sexual sins. It doesn't work that way, right? Because it's so powerful. It quickly turns into idolatry. We just need to cut it off, right? People always ask me, it's one of the most common questions we get as pastors. Hey, you know, Eddie, how do you overcome sexual sins? In your life? How do you overcome sexual temptation? And the thing is, if there was a straightforward black and white answer, some person would have become a multi-billionaire by now. You know, they would have published the book, made a movie about it or whatever. They, we would know. But there is no surefire 100% answer. The best thing that we have is literally like, you know, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. He just ran. That's the best solution to sexual greed is to simply cut it off, run away. Do whatever you can to get physically away from the temptation. Do everything that you can to cut off any possibility of physical or sexual temptation physically within your life. You know, and for him to say, or for God to say, or Paul to say, or for God to say, that you need to put off these things, that you need to put to death these things, what he's saying is that you must do that. It's our responsibility now to do that. He's cut off sexual, you know, the he's cut off all of our sinful desires. He's cut off you know, everything so that we can operate in that. Now it's up to us to choose to cut them off. But the thing is, and the thing is, if we're not willing to put those things to death, then we will always struggle and we will always fail. So, if you want to overcome sexual temptation in your life, we have to be brutal, brutal about it. That's the only way, right? You got to cut things off. Get rid of things that you watch, people you hang out with, places that you go that stumble you. Cut them off at the source, and we need to be absolutely brutal if you want victory over this particular area in your life. But can I tell you some encouraging news? Okay, I'll tell you something, some encouraging news. God is with you. Whatever he calls us into, he will empower. Okay, and so the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what happened? The Holy Spirit filled us, right? Therefore, we now have the Holy Spirit's power to overcome sexual sins within our lives. Therefore, this call to live out this new life apart from sexual sin really is a calling to cooperate with the transformative power that is already within each one of us. And because of that, you can overcome. Okay? So to help overcome sin and to run away, how do we do that? You need to pray. You need to be in step with the Spirit. You got to ask Him for help and he'll empower you. You know, look at two, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's probably a verse that many of us memorize. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But here we go. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the Holy Spirit right there. You know, he'll partner with you. That's the running away, if you can. The cutting off. The choices that we can make to cut those things out of our lives so we don't fall into greed and idolatry of those sins. You know, God created you and saved you to live in freedom. That's the whole thing. We've talked about it for the past like six months. 
to how awesome it is to be in Christ. He saved you to live free from sin. And if he says that we can, and all we have to do is put it off, cut it off, put it to death, then the moment that we do, we can live in freedom. He would never call us to something that was impossible to do. In this life, you can with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why he filled us with it. You can when you make decisions to cut off those things from your life so that your whole life can be a worship. You can if you're absolutely captivated by Christ over being captivated by all those other sexual desires. We just simply need to put them to death and to cut them off. Simple, but not easy. But that's the Christian life, right? So, um, the second thing that we're to put to death are sins relating to our personal relationships. Sexual sins, number one. Sins relating to our personal relationships, verses 8 and 9. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. If you look at the beginning of verse 8 here, it commands us to rid yourselves of all of these things. So that's not just a call to put to death. That was verse 5. But now he's saying rid yourself. So it's not just a call to death, but it's saying you need to take action. Rid something off out of your life. And, and what, he, what he meant by that, what he's saying through that is this. If you know that Christ has put to death those sinful powers and authorities over your life, then rid yourself of all the evidence of their rule in your life. That's what it's saying. If you know you died to them, if you know Christ conquered them, rid yourself of all the evidence of those things that remain, especially when it comes to relationships. Right? What did God say? You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, those are things that destroy relationships between brothers and sisters at the church. And those are the things that we need to rid ourselves from. But let's look at these first three uh, words here, anger, rage, and malice. These are attitudes of the heart that lead to hasty and nasty speech. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18. It says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Do you hear what he says? Do you see what this is saying? It's saying the things that come out of our mouths are actually the extension of our hearts, right? So your words are the expressions of your heart. Therefore, corrupt words come from a corrupt heart, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but let's talk about the power of words for a moment before we get to maybe how to correct our hearts. You know, when we feel anger, when we feel hate, when we feel judgment, which is something that we feel because we're sinful, we need to be able to tell ourselves not to let that take the next step, which is audible expression. You know, like someone will make you angry, someone will make you just rage and deep inside. The key is to not let it take audible expression. Don't say something as a result and say something that you may regret. Why? Because the moment that we say something, it has the, the words have the fundamental power to not only change a situation, but possibly to even permanently break a relationship, right? That's huge. You know, everyone here, if you've gone to church long enough, unfortunately, or, you know, you've probably been the victim of judgment-filled 
like hate-driven words. You know, even if you haven't, I hope you've never have. You know, all of us, we've um, felt the deep sting of like uh, these audible daggers, these little daggers, you know, of people saying all these things to us. You know, I hate those things. I hate it when people couch, couch like really evil things in nice words. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm, I, I totally do that all the time, but I hate myself. You know, but I hate it when those things, why? Because words hurt. All, that's all I'm trying to say is words hurt. They hurt deeply, you know, and words have the power to literally break relationships and to change lives, you know. Even one word has that type of power. I remember when I was in year five, same year as the bike. Uh, I grew up in a real, I grew up in an all-white neighborhood, all-white kids at my school, you know. I was like one of the few non-whites in my class, but I remember in year five, this, this one student, first African-American kid, came to our classroom, and everything was good. He was like the nicest guy in the world. But at, uh, a few weeks later, uh, amidst some confusion on the playground, you heard this one word, this racial slur, right? This one word, and then there was silence. And the sad thing is he moved school the next week. Right? He quit the school, and he moved the next week. You know, words are powerful. When we become Christians, if we understand how powerful words are, then we use words now to bless others and to build others, not to destroy. That's something that we need to understand. We have the power to build and bless others through the things that we say. And this is what it's challenging us to. Yes, we must get rid of all these you know, evil expressions from our lips, but the true fight is within our hearts, you know, like the only way to get rid of the evil stuff that comes out of our mouths is hopefully to have a redeemed heart. And this is where the real fight is. So the question is, how do I get rid of things like anger and rage and malice if I'm always possessed by those things? And um, the answer, I think, is very complex. I think there's, we, we need to attack all these things, just like sexual, sexual temptation. We need to attack these things on multiple, multiple fronts. You know, I've always had anger issues growing up. My, my particular family, my family is a, is a very angry family. You know, you meet my parents, they're angry. You meet my sister, she's angry. I'm angry. You know, we are angry people. And so uh, I've always had angry, anger issues growing up. So the scariest thing is when someone who has deep anger issues becomes a pastor. Right? That should, God should never allow that, allow that to happen, but it happens. And so when I became a youth pastor, right away, within the first three months, my youth students were courageous enough to say, Eddie, we really think you have some anger issues. They did an intervention, right? You know, and they, they sat me down and they said, uh, we really believe you have some major anger issues and we think you need to take care of it. And I was so arrogant at the time, I yelled at them, you know, which is what angry people do, um, which is not something we should laugh at. But because they lovingly said so, I decided to get counseling. And I started to get counseling for it. And it was actually pretty amazing. It was huge. So, you know, you talk about your issues and they give you advice on how to get rid of it. No, they give you coping strategies, all these kind of stuff. When you feel anger, you should do this, all that kind of stuff. And what I would do is every week I would share with my, my students um, how, what I learned and what things I'm trying to apply. And I would ask them to help me apply those things within my life and within the next nine, 10 years, you know, an angry, angry man now 
has turned into like this guy who can, can kind of manage it, you know, it's still inside. I'm still who I am, you know, unfortunately, but one thing that I powerfully learned through that journey was when you journey through the church, with the church, through your sins to help you, to help each other overcome. And when you guys are always praying for each other and, and begging the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you don't like destroy people with your words, you don't destroy people with your heart, so that you can honestly literally love people and pray for people like sincerely from your heart, God actually changes you. So, you know, was it the spirit? Was it my church? Was it the counseling? Yes, yes, yes. You know, I believe my, my certain situation was so serious, I needed to get outside help, you know. And I think we should. You know, if you have, if you have sexual addictions you can't overcome, get outside help. If you have anger issues that you can't overcome, get outside help, you know. Share things, you know, journey with your CGs, journey with your spiritual community that you can share with. Challenge them, beg them to pray for you. Beg them to keep you accountable. You know, share the things that you're trying to implement so that you can overcome. Because, you know, that heart of evil, anger, rage, malice, you know, it, um, it's got to be killed. Otherwise, your, your words will never bless people. But even worse, your heart will never bless people. You know, and that's the worst. You know, the power that we have as a Christian community is that we are redeemed. We are people who've been forgiven. We've been people who were loved even though we were enemies. Even though we deserve hell, we were given grace and love, you know. And, and so th knowing that, you know, ugh, I don't want to get too deeply. Uh, just, you know, get help. Okay, there's so many ways we can get rid of these things. Um, but the thing is, once again, the good news is, and what I've learned experientially, is that we can overcome with the help of your church, with the help of your Christian friends, with the help of the, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can overcome anger, rage, and malice within our life. If He commands us to it, He can He'll empower us to overcome it. Right. So please believe in that promise and seek out those things, especially if you have those types of issues within your life. Um, because we must use our words to give life to each other. We must use our words to build each other. That's why in verse 9 where it says that we are not to lie, it makes perfect sense. Lying destroys the fabric of all relationships, right? Lying destroys the health and the unity of the church, which is the third point of what we're supposed to put off. You know, and so why would we ever continue to engage in things that would destroy the church? We shouldn't. We are to speak truthfully and to seek life or to seek to give each other life through our words. Amen. Do we understand? Is that cool? Uh, before I get to the second point, I want to, to close this point, I want to look at this verb to take off in verse 9. I thought this was kind of really cool. This verb says to take take these things off. Did you know that this is the same verb used in Colossians 2.15, where it says that God stripped the evil powers and authorities of all their power. So God stripped that power off of these evil powers and authorities. Same verb used in when we studied it a few weeks ago, when it said that Christ stripped us of our sinful nature when he circumcised us on the cross. I know there's a lot of weird words there. Go back to the sermon. Okay. You know, but that's what it, God stripped that off of us. So what does that all mean? It means that just as powerfully 
And as cosmically, if I can say it like that, as Christ destroyed the power of sin and all, you know, from those authorities, so are we to destroy the old self with its sin within our lives. It's that radical. It's got to be that much of a taking off, okay? Also, just as powerfully as Christ destroyed the sinful nature within us, we are now to powerfully destroy any practice of it, any evidence of it, or any expression of it within our lives. It is a call to a radical taking off, a radical stripping, a radical destroying off. Will we be perfect? You know, all the time the answer is no. We are saved, we're redeemed, we're reconciled, but it's not complete. All that will happen when Christ comes back. But that's why we need messages like this, to frequently remind us not only who we are in Christ and what he accomplished for us and the life that we're called into, but so that we can be reminded that till the day that we die, till the day that Christ comes back to complete it, we need to fight. Right? It is our choice every single day to put it off and to put on him. And that's why we need messages like this. The good news is that what God calls us to, he empowers. So therefore, we can have victory over sin. If there's nothing else you remember from this message, we can have victory over sin. Or else this is just absolutely discouraging, right? But it isn't because we can. Secondly, let's put on our new life. If we're supposed to put our old life to death, let's put on our new life. Verses 10 to 11 and Verse 10, it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the, its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. These verses are telling us to put on our new lives in two ways. Um, the first is this, very basically, become like Christ, right? And we've talked about this extensively within the first two chapters of every sermon. I've talked about every week, so I'm not going to dwell on this too much. But verse 10 here actually gives us two hints on how we can do this better. The first comes when it says that we are being renewed in the knowledge of Christ. It's saying that to become like Jesus means growing in the knowledge of Christ. And we last week we said that the only way to do that is through prayer and the study of scripture. So please, if you didn't apply that yet, if, you, if you're not regularly praying, if you're not regularly studying scripture to know Christ better, please do that. You know, recently I was talking to um, a student who wanted to become a better musician. And so I asked this person, what do you do to become a better musician? Are you paying for lessons? They're like, no, I can't afford lessons. So what are you doing? Eddie, I watch YouTube videos on this particular instrument for hours each day. And then what I do is, as I'm watching, I just try to copy it. And I just thought, well, there you go. You know, it just makes perfect, it makes perfect sense, right? If you want to grow in something, and if you want to get better in something, you need to understand how it works, and then you just need to try to copy it within your life. It's that simple. And it's the same with growing in Christ, if I can just say that logically, if you want to grow to become like Christ, you just simply need to study him and then copy him. It's that simple. But we need to be studying scripture. We need to be studying who he is and the life that he described that we are called into and copy it. And guess what will happen? You will grow into it. Is that too simplistic? But it's so true. It's really that simple. Let's start praying and studying scripture. The second thing that will help us become like Christ is in this verse where it says that we were actually um, renewed in knowledge in the image of its 
creator. And that's really huge. What is it saying? It's saying that you need to be reminded not only of who the creator is, but who God created you to be. This is huge. You know, I think a lot of times Christians in the church, we teach uh, stuff like this. This way of living is right. That way of living is wrong. You know, this way is good. That way is bad. But a lot of times that type of teaching is so subjective, right? And we kind of need to, you know, be careful of that kind of teaching, right? Because that may, we may not be teaching you God's ways. We might simply just be promoting a, a good culture, a good moralistic culture, right? Which is, you know, not bad, but it's not biblical. Instead, we should be sharing with you, well, this is who God is. This is who God has called us to. And that's a lot better. That's a lot more helpful when you're able to share the blueprint rather than what we believe the interpretation is. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to, once again, all to say, we need to be studying scripture a lot more. Please uh, do that within your life. Um, secondly, the second thing we need to put on is unity in the church. Verse 11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, is all and is in all. And what I want to say about this verse is a little bit extensive, but here what Paul is saying is that he's not just calling each one of us um, to a new life. But what this verse is saying is that he's actually creating a brand new humanity, right? So it's not just this individual endeavor, this uh, individual overhaul that God is concerned with here. He's recreating a whole humanity in his own image. And that's what he wants all of us to understand. And therefore, this huge list that Paul's written here in verse 11 shows that there are no divisions in this new humanity, right, that exists within this new church. There are no divisions between brothers and sisters in this way. The gospel breaks down all the walls that divide us. This new humanity doesn't calculate someone's worthiness above others. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race, regardless of culture, regardless of class, regardless of gender, and regardless of history, we are all there. And what unites us is our identity in Christ. And this is what we constantly, constantly need to forge towards. But please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you are no longer a woman anymore or you are no longer a man anymore. I'm not saying you're no longer Korean or Chinese or or Portuguese. You know, I think we have some Portuguese people, right? Amen. Anyway, uh, that's not what I'm saying. The Christian community is comprised of people who maintain their gender, maintain their familial and social identities, but the calling is to strive for greater unity, perfect unity, and holy unity. And to close this sermon, I want to share something directly to you as your pastor. I've only been here like a little over like 15 months. And um, I just think there are still a lot of walls within our ministry that divide us. Okay, there's a lot of great things that are happening. There's a lot of good stuff that's happening, but there's a lot of walls. Every church has this, so it's not like I'm, you know, saying it's super, super, super serious. But regardless, there's walls that need to be broken. Um, I'm not saying that I want to break up cliques. A lot of times when we say stuff like that, people think I want to break up cliques. It's not that. I'm not saying that. Sometimes I, I think cliques are necessary. Um, but here's what I am saying. 
Over the past 15 months, I've heard so many reasons why people refuse to talk to other people in our ministry, right? There's so many reasons why people just won't talk to someone they don't know, or maybe it's someone that they grew up with, but they just never talk to them. Oh, man, all they, all they do is talk about their kids, Eddie. I don't even know how to hang out with them. And on the other hand, oh, I, I don't even know what those 19-year-olds are saying, man. You know, it's like a different language. I have no idea, you know. Uh, there's so many reasons. You know, Oh, they're so Korean. Oh, they're not Korean enough. You know, I don't think I'll ever talk to that person. That person's like one year older than me. Oh, my God. You know, whatever. There's so many reasons why we won't like talk to each other, why we won't care for each other, that we won't love each other. There's like an infinite number of reasons why we're so still divided. But God is calling us into a new humanity. And this is the whole point, right? There will always be challenges of age. There will always be challenges of race, culture, history, background. But we need to realize that if we are in Christ, those are not walls anymore. But they're now opportunities for us to appreciate who God's made your brothers and sisters to be and the life stage that they're at right now. And yes, we may not understand, but we can still celebrate them and appreciate them. We can still be inquisitive about them and learn and understand them and care for them and pray for them. God, I don't understand them, but I pray for them. You know, it's fine. God, you've called me into new humanity, so I'm going to love them. It's fine. You know? I don't understand my wife fully. But I love her and I pray for her, you know? It's fine. I don't understand my kids. It's okay. You don't understand your parents probably still. But you love them. And you pray for them and you care for them. It can happen here too. And it needs to happen. There's so many. And so when you think about it, when you look, when you look around the room and you realize, oh man, I don't know these people. I grew up with them, but I don't know these people. What a great opportunity it is for you to realize what God's doing in people's lives, for you to celebrate, try to understand, and pray about, and pray for, right? Let me give you four suggestions, and we'll close. How can we seek to discover that in one another better? Number one, genuinely forgive others. For people who grew up in a church like this, with the kind of history that this particular church has, you know what that means? All that tells me is that there's been a lot of hurt. Right? There's been a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness in all your relationships if you grew up here for like 20 years. So what I need from you, well, not what I need, but what God wants from you is genuine forgiveness. I'm sure you've been hurt by a lot of people, maybe, you know, deeply. Some things that, you know, still, you still get angry when you think about those things. But um, genuinely forgive. Church can never be the church unless we live out the gospel to one another. You know? Stop carrying your judgments. Stop carrying your distrust, your hurts. Forgive and love. You know, instead of like judging that person and not liking that person, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, when he saw his enemy, he went to that person, loved them, forgave them, healed them, prayed for them, died for them. And if we truly are children of the gospel, then we can do that too. I know that's not easy. But please start to pray about that so that we can actually become a church. Okay? Number two, on Sundays, you know, please try to just say hello to one person. 
you don't know very well. It could be a newcomer. It could be someone that you don't know. It could be someone you grew up with but just never talked to for like the past 20 years. Can you just do that? Um, Break down – and here's the point. Break down the walls that are in your heart. If you get rejected, fine. It's okay. That's gospel work. You'll be rewarded in heaven. But the thing is, you do that because you want to break down the walls that exist here. You're acknowledging that you have an issue. Whether it's fear, judgment, whether it's like, you know, whatever it is. But you want to say, God, I want to overcome that. So help me to love this person. So go to that person. And if you get rejected, that's fine. But what if you all of a sudden make a friend? And now there's someone you can pray for that week. You know, how amazing would that be? And all of a sudden, the people that you went to church with for the past 20 years that you never prayed for, you can start praying for. People that you went to church for the past 20 years that you never had a spiritual relationship with, maybe now you can. But that only changes when you overcome the walls in your heart. Number three, in your CGs, love the CG members that you do not know very well. You don't have to be a leader to meet with your CG members one-on-one. Okay, meet with them, ask them how they are, who they are, and get to know them, ask questions, and then pray for them every day that week, right? Build those types of relationships within the church. Lastly, I want to make one comment about being Korean, okay? You know, we're an English ministry of a Korean-speaking church. The majority of us are Korean. We feel comfortable expressing ourselves in a very Korean way, and that's awesome, and that's great. Everyone should celebrate the heritage that they've been born into. Everyone should celebrate the nationality, everything that you're about. It's great. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But in light of the teaching today, can we be just be more sensitive to those who may not be Korean in this, in this ministry? Can we do that? Um, we have a lot of people that are not Korean. So well, how do we do that? Let's, let's try not to speak Korean publicly in our meetings. Okay? Ugh. You know? But we're an English ministry, so let's not just be about being English, um, but let's also be about being Christ, which is being sensitive to other people. You know what I'm saying? And especially we as Koreans, we're the majority crowd. You know, we need to be the ones that try twice or three times as hard to make sure that our majority culture does not divide or exclude other people from everything that God's doing, you know? And so let's really try to do that. Unity takes intentionality and sensitivity. So let's work hard for it. Okay, I know I've preached long. I'm going to bring this home now. You know, I'll be very frank with you. I hate, I hate whenever I read passages like this that have lists of sins and lists of things, I hate those. I have this love-hate relationship with those. I love it because I love that God is so clear and this is what I need to do with my life. I love that. But I hate it because uh, I hate lists and I hate people telling me what to do. <laughs> you know, and I, and I just hate it that it's so difficult sometimes because it just feels like a bunch of rules and I hate it when Christianity feels like a bunch of rules. But here we go. Let me just end saying this. When you're in love with somebody, all you want to know is how to make that person happy. And it's a lot more helpful when they tell you how they can make you happy. You know, you're not shopping at Meyer trying to find the right present because you have no idea what will make them happy. But that person told you, this is what will make me happy. And it's awesome. When you're in love... And when you're captivated by God and he tells you, hey, 
this I think this will make me happy. Then you're like, oh, oh, great. I can't wait to do that in my life for you. It's awesome. But if you have this attitude of like, oh, so religious, or it's so like, oh, I can't believe Christianity is a bunch of rules and regulations. That's when you probably know that fundamentally your heart position in light of who God is needs the work. That's where you just need to spend time. Forget the rules in that case. Just spend time with Christ. Enjoy him. Get back to the heart of being captivated by Christ, which is what? Being thankful for his grace and his lordship within your life. We talked about that for the past like two months. Okay, let's return to that. So that Christianity never becomes religious, but it's always this pleasure to be able to please God in all that we do. Let's pray. We went through a lot of stuff today. There's some fundamental things that, you know, need to change. Things that we need to put off within our lives. Sexual sins, anger, rage, malice, all of these things. If you need help, first place we need to go to is God. Let's ask him for help because you can't handle those on your own. And ask God to give you the power and the strength to overcome alongside your community, your Christian community, alongside others that might need help. Let's commit ourselves to be who God called us to be so that we could please him with all that we are. Let's pray. thank you so much for all these chapters that we've been studying through Colossians that shows how amazing Christ is, all that he did for us, all that he accomplished for us Father so that we can live for you and be free God I know that there's so many of us in this room that are struggling with sin God we pray help them to always know that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and Father help them to live in the freedom that you died to give them Father, alongside the Holy Spirit, empower them, Father, to overcome and to live in victory. Father, we pray that they'll have the courage. Give them the courage to turn to their Christian communities, to turn to others for help, to partner with the Holy Spirit, Father, so they can live in victory and overcome. And God, we pray that you teach us how to be a church that gets rid of all anger, rage, malice, judgment towards each other, but yet, and to put on forgiveness to put on grace, to put on love, God, so that we might use our words, our relationships to build each other, to reflect your amazing plan of salvation in Christ. God, we pray that you transform us to be a church that's like that, so we can truly love you and glorify you with all that we are. Thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.